Let us pray. Father, we give you great thanks this day for the resurrection of Jesus, the risen Lord of glory. And we, by your Holy Spirit, invite your presence here, even in this moment, to guide and direct that we would become more like our Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning on this second Sunday of Easter. And um, as expected on the second Sunday of Easter, the crowd kind of takes a dip for a week or so. But it is so good to have all of you here. And good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream. So glad that you have joined us as well. And you, even though you're watching via the live stream, you please know that you are loved and you are wholly and fully a part of All Saints Church and this church family as we worship both together and apart as we continue through this season. I invite you to turn on your Bibles and devices um, in just a moment, um, looking at chap- Acts chapter 3. In today's gospel reading, we hear and read of two of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances to his disciples before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father in heaven. This reading from John's gospel is always the appointed reading for the second Sunday of Easter, regardless of those of you that are familiar with the lectionary, whether it's year A or year B or year C, it's always this reading from John's gospel on the second Sunday of Easter. In these first two appearances, Jesus breathes on the apostles and says these words, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, these verses are a sermon in and of themselves, maybe for next year. And last year, I know I preached specifically on Thomas's encounter with Jesus from this text. Um, in a very brief summary, what we have here is Jesus empowering and commissioning the apostles to move forward and continue his ministry. This is, in a sense, I believe, their apostolic commissioning, their, uh, their commissioning for the 11 remaining apostles as apostles to continue the work of Christ. This full Holy Spirit empowerment for this will come to them and to other disciples as well then on the day of Pentecost. Today's reading concludes, today's gospel reading concludes with these words. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And then it makes clear that the signs which Jesus did were written down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing, we may have life, eternal life. God breathed life in his name. Now, similarly to what we did last Sunday, let's jump forward together for a moment to our reading from the book of Acts. And again, by way of information, um, with our lectionary, the, the appointed readings, it is customary in the lectionary to read from the book of Acts rather than having an Old Testament reading from the second Sunday of Easter, or excuse me, from, from Easter, actually, actually from the second Sunday every week. Ugh, let me back up. I just botched that big time. In all three years, it's customary from the second Sunday of Easter through Ascension Day, or the Sunday after Ascension Day, to have a reading from the book of Acts rather than from the Old Testament. So we'll be hearing from Acts instead of the Old Testament each Sunday between now and 40 days from now, approximately. 
when our reading today, in our reading today from Acts 3, we see a demonstration of the apostles now living out Jesus' commission to them to continue his work. I'm focusing primarily on verses 12 through 20 this morning, but in order to get the context, I want to back up and read verses 1 through 11 of Acts chapter 3 to you. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the temple, the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. As biblical scholar Craig Keener notes in his commentary on the book of Acts, which is a huge tome recently released that will be the standard probably for the next 50 to 75 years. It is, I think, about 7,000 pages on the book of Acts, four volumes. You know, it's a dense commentary when you only get through Acts chapter two and volume one. Um, And it's this thick. (laughs) But Keener notes, and I think this is something we need to think about, an unscriptural division that developed, especially among some Protestants in the 20th century between word, deed, and power. Here's what he means. Some Protestant evangelicals, and I'll use that term in its historic sense as it was understood from most of the 20th century, and some fundamentalists before them emphasized proclamation of the world, but underemphasized deeds, and in many cases, even denied the continuation of God's works of power, especially miracles. Those who were identified as progressive or more liberal Christians emphasized deeds, works of mercy and compassion, and fighting for social justice. However, they untethered these actions from full fidelity to the words of Scripture and the essential truths of the faith as the church has understood them since the earliest days of the Christian church. And in some cases, they denied the reality of miracles, attributing them simply to pre-modern ways of thinking. And then some, but certainly not all, within the charismatic and Pentecostal camp, if you will, which transcends simply Protestant categories or Protestant-only categories, came to emphasize God's power. But in some cases, those folks decoupled that emphasis on power from word or deed. The truth is that a biblical understanding of the Christian life and ministry and the life of the church does not countenance these kinds of divisions or separations. It is not in line with the whole counsel of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, nor is it the testimony of the historic church through the centuries. As God's people, All Saints Church, we are called, we are commissioned by God to be his witnesses, 
through faithful proclamation of the whole counsel of Scripture as received by the church, to be agents of Christ's compassion through works of mercy and speaking against social injustices and oppression, and to move and work in the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to continue the fullness of Christ's ministry. All three. Anything less than this God-balanced threefold focus is insufficient or incomplete. Much of what is recorded here in Acts chapter 3 is similar to and in continuity with the things we looked at last Sunday in Acts 10 relating to Christ's resurrection. So let's look briefly at a few, a few key points here together this morning from Acts chapter 3. And what do we see? Well, the first thing we see is that God brings healing and power through the resurrected Jesus. Peter speaking and John also here, they know their audience. They know who their hearers are. Last Sunday in Acts chapter 10, Peter's hearers were all Gentiles. Here in Acts chapter 3, it's a Jewish audience. So this miracle, the instantaneous healing of this man, has riveted the attention of everyone in the vicinity. Acts chapter 3 verse 2, again, And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Day in and day out, those entering the, pe- the temple knew this man. They saw him begging for alms at the gate. They knew his condition. They knew that he couldn't walk. The implication is that he had been at the temple gate for years. And this miracle, this instantaneous healing, it got their attention. I think of the story, it's not a story, it's a true event, of a man named Warren Rogers, who I knew for many years, now with the Lord in heaven. And Warren um, was a member of one back in my Assemblies of God days, was a longtime member of Trinity Assembly of God, which was my home church before I went to seminary. Warren drove a bread truck for the Schmidt's Baking Company. It had a delivery route. And back in the early 1980s, he had a delivery route in Baltimore. As you know, people that have those kind of routes start very early in the morning in the grocery business. He was held up and robbed while he was on his delivery route and was severely beaten and had sustained um, permanent spinal injury, um, serious spine damage. And Warren, after that, could only walk with the assistance of braces and two canes, you know, the kind of canes that wrap around your forearm, and that's the only way he could walk. He was on total disability. And then it was, it was a year or two before I started going to Trinity Assembly of God. In 1985 or 1986, um, the church was having special services, and Warren was prayed for, and he was miraculously and instantaneously and completely healed. Yes. Yeah, and, and this is not one of those folks that someone comes into a meeting and no one knows who they are. This is Warren Rogers who had been at the church for 20 or 30 years at that point. Some of my best friends even now knew Warren. They were there when this happened. One of the folks that was in my wedding, one of my, my best man was at the service when this happened. Miraculously healed instantaneously. Again, someone known in the church, not a stranger. There was no doubt. And he then went off of disability, 
do that. He went off of disability. And Warren then, until he retired, worked as the facilities manager for Trinity Assembly of God. And I have these pictures. You have to see, you have to know Warren. He's with the Lord now. But Warren always had this key ring that was about as big as Barney Fife's key ring for the Mayberry Jail. But it was loaded with keys. And my picture, I'm going to say that my picture of Warren, he, Warren never walked slowly anywhere. He ran or jogged everywhere he went. And my picture is of Warren running here and there in the church. There's a big facility, climbing up and down ladders. But Warren was miraculously healed by the Lord. And that riveted people's attention. Especially when you call disability, social security disability, and say, I don't need it anymore. I'm going off of disability. It riveted people's attention. Now, jumping back to to Peter, there was confusion here, which Peter, in this event with the man at the gate, beautiful, needed to address head on, because people were wrongly attributing the source of his power for this miracle of healing to something intrinsically within Peter or in John. And Peter brings a clear and strong corrective. God has glorified his servant Jesus through this miracle. By his name, faith in his name, as verse 16 tells us. Through this, faith in his name, Jesus has healed this man. And as verse 16 continues, and faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. There are two principles we see here. First, Nobody comes to repentance and genuine conversion of heart simply through seeing a miracle. Miracles grab, true God miracles grab people's attention. And they present then an opportunity, hear this, they present an opportunity for a clear presentation of the gospel. Who is this Jesus who has just done this wonderful work? That's what we see here in Acts. That's what we see throughout scripture. That's what we saw or I saw and the church saw in Warren Rogers' healing. Because Warren was very quick to tell people what Jesus had done. It grabs people's attention. Presents an entree, an opening, and receptivity to the gospel. The second principle we see here is that Jesus alone is to receive all of the honor and the glory. Jesus is to receive all the honor and the glory. When people are touched by the Lord or someone uses God to pray for people... If they are drawing attention to themselves, where they become front and center and it's all about them, and they start taking the credit, even as Christians, what they're doing is not of God because it doesn't bring glory to God. The center focus, the attention needs to be Jesus and his glory. Isaiah 42 verse 8 reminds us, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that in anything, any work that God calls us to do, in any ministry that God calls us to do as individuals, as a church family, we are not to take credit. God shares his glory with no one. What we do needs to be in the name of Jesus and to point people to him, not to us. Jesus, the resurrected Lord of glory, is still in the business of doing miracles, despite what some people might say. 
Remember Hebrews 13, 8 that I quoted last Sunday as well. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In John 14, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said this to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God does continue to do his wonderful works. God is still in the healing business, physical, emotional, and mental, and spiritual. But it is always, it is always for the glory of his name and to point people to new life in and through Christ Jesus. I, Howard Marshall, in his commentary on Acts, which is a superb commentary, says this, the proclamation of God's power made it possible for people to believe. The proclamation of God's power, pointing people to who is the source, who is the one who's working powerfully. And God has this for All Saints Church as well, that we would point people to Jesus, that we would point people to Jesus in all that we are, in all that we do, that God's healing and power come through the resurrected Jesus for the praise and the glory of his name. The second thing we see here in Acts chapter 3 is that to deny Christ in his resurrection is death. The Jews as a group whom Peter addresses are spiritually dead. They had denied the reality of who Jesus is. Despite the fact that the prophets foretold all of these truths regarding Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the anointed one of God. And Peter, speaking under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, drives this point home to them. Especially in verse 13, by speaking of God who has, in his words, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And Peter's use of the term servant here is a direct prophetic reference to the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 43, which was part of our readings just a week and a half ago on Good Friday. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, we read this. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Not just this verse, but the entirety of Isaiah 53, which is a good chapter of scripture to read over and over and over again. The entirety of Isaiah 53 points, uh, speaks of and points prophetically to Jesus. And Peter here emphasizes that Jesus, the one who gives life, died on a cross while a murderer, Barabbas, was set free. And that's a sermon in itself as well. And yet Peter acknowledges to these Jews, even in what they did, in denying and betraying Jesus, that they did not grasp the full ramifications of what they had done. Even as Jesus recognized and cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he also emphasizes that even this sin could be forgiven. But this requires a change of heart. It requires God-breathed transformation and full 
wholehearted acceptance of the truth of Christ, including his bodily resurrection. Denying Christ and the resurrection means that you are dead. The third thing we see here in Acts chapter 3 is God's call to repentance and conversion, verses 19 and 20. Our focus this morning concludes with Peter expounding to these Jews in the temple courts and to everyone who has come behind them through God's word, both Jew and Gentile, the very heart of God's call. And it's very simple. Verses 19 through 20, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. It begins with repentance. Turning from sin by God's grace and God's power. Turning from sin to Christ. In the fullness of who he is as the eternal resurrected king of glory who gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. This leads to forgiveness. This leads to relationship with God. This leads to genuine conversion of heart. Conversion of heart that is both once and ongoing. Hear me. Yes, we are converted, but we continue to be converted in the sense of what we would call sanctification. We continue to be converted. The idea that there's no salvation. Hear me. There is no salvation apart from repentance, without repentance. Don't let anyone tell you differently because that is what scripture says. But there is no ongoing growth in the Christian life apart from a lifestyle of repentance or more fully turning to God. That's what I mean by ongoing conversion of heart. That even though we've turned away from sin as God works in us, there is this more full turning day by day more fully turning to God, to his truth, to his ways, and to his working in our lives. And as that happens, the Lord brings times of refreshing in his presence. Remember last Sunday, I also mentioned the, when we talked about um, enmity and strife with God ceasing through repentance and faith in Christ. And I said, as God removes that which is not of him, he fills that void. He doesn't leave that empty. Even as he removes that enmity, he doesn't leave that void empty, but he fills that void with his presence and his blessing. New life, forgiveness, the fullness of his spirit, purpose and direction and focus in Christ. All begins with repentance and faith in the resurrected Jesus, the Lord of glory, as the only savior, the only sacrifice for the sins of the world, even as we will be reminded so profoundly of as we hear the Eucharistic prayers in just a little while, as we receive of the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion. Apart from Christ's resurrection and belief in his name, there is no life. He alone gives life eternal. Life in the Son, the grace of forgiveness. Grace through the sacraments as we come in faith and trust. Brothers and sisters, God calls us 
to be a people who live lifestyles of continuing repentance, more fully turning toward God, not just individually, but as a church family as well, all together. And he calls us to be his church in word, faithful proclamation of the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls us to be his church indeed, addressing the needs of people through acts of compassion and works of mercy and speaking out against ungodly injustices. And he calls us to be his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. That God, not us, but God through his miracle working power, that God through the presence of his spirit would transform and deliver and set people free and bring spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. That is who God is calling us to be. That is a picture scripturally of a whole well-rounded church. And it's something that God is calling us to live into in this day and this season. And we need not to emphasize one over the other, but be faithful and have fidelity to the whole counsel of God's truth and God's word and who he calls us to be in the days ahead. And as we do that, he will continue to use us, I believe, in ever greater measure to reach our neighbors down the hill, as we partner with missionaries to reach folks around the world, and even for people who know and love Jesus, to make us more and more like him and to set us free from things that perhaps there's still a tethering of this world to. And God will do that for the glory of his name through the resurrected Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful, beautiful example of who you are in Acts chapter 3 through proclamation of your word through compassion toward a physically disabled man and through the power of your Holy Spirit Lord may we live into the fullness of who you've called us to be through Jesus Christ and Lord may we never ever in the slightest way, take any glory or honor for that because all glory is yours. Lord, equip us, give us your heart, your mind, continue to unfold your calling and vision for the days ahead to us as we seek your face, as we step into your will and the light that you have given us. And Lord, as we do that, lighten the path ahead of us that we can see specifically how you are calling us as a church in this year and the days to come to live out your will through the resurrected Lord of glory and for the praise and the honor of his name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.